Thank you, Brother Ken. Appreciate you coming up, taking care of that for us. Let me have you open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are humming along through 2 Corinthians. We're going to do the next 18 verses in 2 Corinthians. It's basically the entire chapter. I think now more than ever, and I guess I could have said this at any time of the ages, it is important to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching the truth of the gospel is essential as to who we are as believers. Preaching the truth of the gospel is essential to what God had His Son do for us on the cross. Preaching the truth of the gospel, unfortunately, has been watered down. Everything in the Scriptures is not the gospel, but the gospel is in the Scriptures. There, the gospel is a core. There is a charismatic core. There is a core of set beliefs that the gospel truly proclaims. And we find a summation of it in 1 Corinthians 15. We studied that when we were in 1 Corinthians. But the, the core of the gospel is Jesus Christ died a cruel death, murdered on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, uh, and, and he resurrected. And we know that he's coming back again. And all of that, the charismatic core, those three things, died, buried, and resurrected. And all of that has to include the gospel. Now, there are a lot of things that people claim to be the gospel, and they'll claim to be, well, you know, I'm, I'm being neighborly to my neighbor, and therefore I'm proclaiming the gospel. I walk around with the Bible in my hand, therefore I'm proclaiming the gospel. I pray before I eat in a restaurant, and therefore I'm proclaiming the gospel. And those are things that you should be doing. Those are things that you can do. But the gospel message is essential to who we are as Christians as believers, those that Jesus Christ died for. The gospel message is not a message of comfort. The, Jesus Christ didn't die so that you can be comfortable. He didn't die so that you can have a place just to live and, and be happy and free. Uh, many people tell me many times, you know, I've heard this many times before, you know, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? I says, no. That's the furthest thing that the cross provided for you was happiness. I mean, there, the happiness is a byproduct of the purpose of the cross, but the purpose of the cross was to make you holy. And holiness is one of the things that requires a lot from us. It requires us a lot of sacrifice, requires a lot of our own self-sacrifice, getting the, ourselves out of the way. Most people come to church and they're expecting to hear the gospel, and the gospel message now is how I can live during this COVID period, how I can maintain my finances, how I can keep my family together, and how I can uh, just put all these, all these uh, other things around us and help us to, to, to build a better life for my family, myself, and, and, and who we are as people. COVID has done a lot and, and has changed a lot of minds and has changed a lot of people. And if you can think about this, only, only within the last several months have we been and we've gone through these changes. And I personally believe that it is all part of this uh, huge ladder that is rising up to fruition to where the uh, Antichrist or the one government order is coming into place. It's part of what God has been using throughout history. It's just one of those rungs in that ladder. And what we should do is we should stop playing uh, this deliberate mind game of what people are doing and, and stop playing with these words that really mean something. And we're learning how to uh, just receive it and understand and believe that these are things that uh, are now part of our everyday life. Like, for instance, quarantine. Quarantine has always been for sick people. You quarantine them, and nobody can come in to see them. And, and the, that term is designated for people that are verified sick. You know, th this is what we, what we have now is a mandated, mandated house arrest. 
What we have now is something that is mandated by the government to stay home, safer at home. That's another thing. You know, safer at home, people say, well, it's safer at home, just stay home. You know, really? Depending on whose home you're talking about. You know, there are a lot of people out there that can say, you know, that we can stay home and, it, and we're self-sufficient and we're good. We have the ample space, backyard for the kids and everything else. But what about the single mom with three kids in a two-bedroom apartment that lives in, in these areas that she can't, how is, how is that safe? How is the safety of, of others that, that are, are so cramped and crowded in, in abusive homes where the dad has lost his job and the mom is trying to figure out what to do next and the kids can't go to school to escape for just that moment of time? How is that safer? We should stop saying, you know, this is for the greater good. When you close the economy, killing millions of businesses that families have worked generations to establish, there's nothing good about that. I'm, I'm watching businesses that have been in, in business for years. 30, 40 years closing down because, well, we can't do anything with this anymore. And we should stop saying it's the new normal. That's just blatant mind control. There's nothing normal about being quarantined or, or stuck inside of a house. There's nothing normal about breathing your own bodily waste. There's nothing normal about wearing masks, living in constant fear of contamination. That's not normal. There's nothing normal about telling your neighbors to stay away because they got the plague. There's nothing normal about that. And right now, more than any other time, we need the boldness to be able to proclaim this gospel. Now, if, if we're being corralled in such a way to start to conform in what the world is doing, then it's going to be very easy for the Antichrist to come and say, hey, take this mark, or basically right now they're saying, take this mask. You can't buy or sell anything without this mask. And now, well, you know, the mask is now gone, but you, know, you still can't buy or sell anything unless you have some sort of an identification. And the gospel message, beloved, is your responsibility. My responsibility is to preach the gospel. And as much as it is my responsibility to preach the gospel from the pulpit, it is also my responsibility to preach the gospel in public. And public and pulpit have to match. And just because I am the professional doesn't mean that it's all up to me. My responsibility is to give you the tools and to share with you what the gospel message is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul has been dealing with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He's been dealing with the Judaizers, is what he calls them, what we call them. They are people that were trying to lay upon the people in Corinth the necessity to not only be saved by the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, but also do the Jewish acts. There's other things that you have to do. They called Paul, uh, you know, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. See, because there's also this hyper-spiritualism that has to be done. Paul's message is too simple. Paul's message is not profound enough. And we have this knowledge. We have this wisdom from above. And we can show you. And a lot of the things that happened, and we talked about this in 1 Corinthians, a lot of what was going on in 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of this ecstatic movement and ecstatic speech and, and praise and worship that just went out of control, is what the outside was doing. The, those went temples and prostitutes, and that's how they got themselves all worked up in a frenzy, and they worshiped God. They brought that into the church, and Paul invested three chapters into trying to get people that's not the use of the, of the spiritual gifts. And so... This, this time, Paul has been away from the church, and, and they're talking about him. He's depressed, he's, he's mad, he's upset, and he's frustrated. You know, people are turning against him, they're talking about him. And as we've been talking about the old covenant, the new covenant, and the glory that is gone, and the new glory that is now in Jesus Christ. And, and I, I almost can relate sometimes to Paul and his frustration with people. I mean, don't they just get it? I mean, what, 
what more do I have to do? How much more do I have to go? And my answer came to me several months ago. And this is why we call this whole book of 2 Corinthians living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't understand what the gospel is. The gospel has been watered down. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be offensive. You know, there are a lot of people that don't want to offend a non-believer. You know, let's not offend them by telling them that there's a hell if they do bad things. You know, it's okay with that lifestyle that they live. The gospel needs to be offensive. The problem is that many of us, including yours truly, hate confrontation. Right? I hate confrontation. I don't like confrontation. But you know what I have found? I have found that when I'm preaching the gospel, I don't need to be confrontational. I just got to be accurate. I just got to tell the truth. I just got to tell what the Bible says. The problem is, is that many people don't know what the gospel message is. And as we go through 2 Corinthians, I'm going to reiterate this over and over and over again, what the gospel message is and how it is that we are to proclaim it and teach it and share it. Because, see, this is what Paul was up against. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read all 18 verses. Please follow along with me in your translation. I have what's called the English Standard Translation. Some of you guys have different translations. And then we're going to go back, we're going to unpack it. After I pray, after I read this, I'm going to pray, we'll come back, we'll unpack it. And I'm going to give you six Six points that I pulled out of there, plus on how to endure, how to continue on when I'm pressed and crushed and not persecuted and, and not abandoned. And we'll, we'll go through that here. And, it's, and it starts like this in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper, tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, so also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you to his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that in great, so that as great, wow, I can't see that word. Somebody move that light. Grace? Okay, that's why I couldn't see it. So we do not lose heart, though our 
Our outer self is, I'm going back to verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being restored or renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is perplexing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all compassion. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Sorry about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather together around your word and to recognize what our part is in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul shares with us the afflictions that he endured, but he kept on. And I pray, Lord, that when the time comes, that in spite of the afflictions, in spite of the troubles and sufferings and everything else that may go on, that we ourselves can come to a point where we keep going on and endure. So thank you, Lord, for this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Pull out your outlines. Chapter 4, verse 1. Preaching the truth of the gospel, living out the gospel. In order to preach the gospel, in order to share the gospel, there are certain qualities that a person must have. And these are the qualities that some of you probably already have. And I'm asking you to divert them and to point them toward using uh, those, those gifts that you have. Not your intelligence, not your wisdom, not your power, not your uh, prestige, but what God can do through you as a vessel. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a, a pastor. All you have to be is to be willing to be used. And number one, it takes determination. Many of you have determination. As a matter of fact, all of you that are here this morning are very de- were very determined to be here. Some of you drove from far away. I know. And some of you, it took you some time to get here. Some had to make a phone call. And, and you're very determined to be. You have determination. You have the ability and the willingness to do what it takes. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul says, you know, there's so many things that, that can actually happen. I can lose heart. I, I've, I've done so many things. I, I've been to so many places. Paul just explained to us what was going on in Corinth as far as the Judaizers, those that were against him. He, he starts off chapter 3 by saying, you know, do you need a letter of recommendation from me? I mean, have these people really infiltrated your hearts and your minds in such a way that you forgot who I am? You are my letter of recommendation. Just the fact that you have been saved and and the fact that you are growing in Christ, you don't need anything else. You yourself are my recommendation. Yet the people around him, those that were against Paul, those that wanted to divide the church from the very beginning in chapter, chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians, we find that there was a lot of divisions. Some people called themselves from Paul, some people from uh, Paul, uh, Peter, some from Apollos, some from the Jesus group, and there was all these divisions, there was all this hatred, there was animosity, people were suing each other, there was just a lot of things going on. Paul went in, straightened things out, left, and they came back in. And the church at Corinth had this determination. Paul had this determination. Paul's heart was for Corinth. Why Corinth? We really don't know. But that Corinth was a a key place, a strategic church. It's the only church he spent that much time in. And in this letter, as I mentioned to you before, and in this letter, Paul is just pouring out his heart. Look, after all I've been through, after all the things that we've gone through, and now I need to come back again, do I need to get over there with the whip? I want to share with you my heart. I want to share with you the things that... I see, and I want for you to change. And he says, I I am determined. I do not lose heart in spite of everything that's happened. The therefore, in this verse, points back to the last few verses, last couple of chapters. Therefore, after all these things that we have been talking about, you know, I don't lose heart. 
there's been I, many times I've been asked, so what do you think, Pastor? I mean, what are you, you going to do? I says, you know, I, I don't know. Ask me tomorrow morning on, Sunday, on Monday. He asked me on Monday. I says, I quit. I call Ken. Hey, Ken, I'm leaving. He says, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it just, I could, I could empathize with Paul. Paul had that, you know, I just, okay. But I come home. I wake up. I pray. I get together with God. And, you know, Lord, you have me here. For whatever reason, I am in San Bernardino. We've been here for 20 years, and we continue to move forward in spite of everything else that's around us. I mean, by all intents and purposes, this church should have literally just been closed down from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, that's how we received this building. It was closed down. Somebody came in, and they did some work here, and uh, it didn't flourish, so then they, they were getting ready to shut it down. They offered it to us, and so well, we'll take it. We transferred from Riverside to San Bernardino. And from the very beginning, it's, it's, it started off really well. And, and just within the last several years, it's, it's really just been difficult, the challenge. But, you know, I look back and I think back of all the lives that have been changed and those that are still going forward, people that I communicate with on a regular basis and, and families that I'm connected to. And I, and I see the impact that this church has had. And I know that it's more than just an amphitheater. I know that it's more than just a landscape or a parking lot that's going to take place here pretty soon. I know that it's more than that. God has provided for us in so many ways, that he desires for this facility to be used to proclaim his gospel. And you are the product of that. And so whether you like it or not, you are part of God's purpose and what he wants to do in proclaiming the gospel, in preaching the truth of the gospel. And so, as I mentioned, you're determined people already. I know that. You know, some people will call that stubborn, uh, determination. Some people will call that hard-headed. <laughs> Some people will call that, you know, uh, determined. Paul says, you know, I'm determined, and I'm going to do this by the grace of God and by the power of God. The second thing it takes is it takes honesty. It takes honesty. Number two, uh, verses, verse two it says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The, those that were there and trying to get Paul out of the picture were making a living out of the gospel, and they were doing whatever it took to please people, to help them uh, not be so offended. And they would bring it. They're the ones that brought in all the outside culture. They brought in all the glitz and glamour and, and all the sin, and it's okay. God forgave you. Remember, Paul said that you're saved by grace. You can't do anything for it anyways. You're already saved. Once saved, always saved. So let's go out and have a good time. Let's party. And it was that lifestyle that Paul was just like, I, I can't believe you guys are falling for that. And Paul says, the truth is, you got to share the truth. you got to be honest with people. Many of you might say, you know, I am a very honest person. Well, that's good. The problem is, is that we have this honesty of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that has to be proclaimed. What's that? Well, first of all, people need to realize that they are dead in their trespasses. In Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and on, as a matter of fact, if you would turn there with me, I, I just want to share this with you. It's the next couple of books over. It's Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and whereby and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Mankind. All the rest of mankind. All of mankind, including you and I. We were what the Bible calls and what Paul calls children of wrath. In Psalm 96, what we read just a little bit ago, God is going to dispense his wrath on the ungodly. God's wrath is something that most people don't want to talk about. God's wrath is that against sin and sinners. The concept is, you know, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. The problem with that is that the sin is attached to the sinner, and God's wrath is going to deal with that sin. Whether it is uh, you know, a little sin to some people or a big sin to what you consider a big sin, sin is sin. And to God, it is ugly. It is distasteful. It is a blatant disobedience, disregard to a holy and perfect God. My sin, my sin that, was, that kept me dead, my sin that made me an enemy of God, my sin that makes God's wrath just pour out on my life, is the sin that has been forgiven. And we have a culture, we have a country, we have a world where people are okay to invite it into the church. It's okay to invite it into the family. And, and sin is sin. And now it's gotten so blatant that before a lot of it was hidden. We'll talk about the light and the darkness here in just a little bit. But people need to know that they are agents of wrath. That God's wrath is going to disseminate them, is going to destroy them. That God's your sin. Your sin is so vile and so wicked and so ugly that God hates it. And because you're attached to that sin, you are an enemy of God. Unless the Holy Spirit opens your heart, brings you back to life, unless you understand what the gospel message is, that Jesus Christ died so that you wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to receive this wrath of God. Now, isn't that a little bit different than saying, you know, God loves you, it's okay, just continue coming and we'll make everything all right for you. You know, just here, take these steps, five steps on how to take care of your children, five steps on how to manage your money, five steps on how to uh, deal with stress. Here's two steps. Uh, you know, it's just one step, folks. Turn or burn. What God is showing us, and, and all, all that, what I just said, is here. It's plain to see. It's clear. But it's been veiled. It's been hidden. It's been watered down. And the gospel message now includes everything from loving my neighbor to uh, singing to everything else. The gospel message, what Jesus Christ died for, was not just that I can have a comfortable building to come into, but so that I can have a comfortable life. Those are benefits of, but that's not the gospel message. It takes honesty to say, you know, you're dead. That's why you can't see God. Oh, but I'm searching. No, you're not. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 1 tells you that you're not looking for God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it says, in, in, actually in verse 10, and I'll start in verse 9, What then? Are we Jews any better? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. Paul just laid out, a, a, a dep he laid out this claim, this logistic claim, as a lawyer does, you know, you're guilty. Those that are sinners, of course, in the world, they're guilty. Those that think they're righteous, they're guilty. Those of you that think you're religious, you're all guilty. And then he says in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. 
Oh, no, but people are seeking God. They come to church to seek God. They come to church to see. That's why they're here. They're seekers. So we need to be sensitive to those seekers. Folks, if any one of you guys are seekers, I want you to know you're going to die and go to hell if that's all you're doing here. Because seeking is not part of God's kingdom. There is no seeking in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I'll say that again. Paul took this out of the, out of, uh, the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it was the same thing in, in the book of Psalms. There's no one righteous. No, not one. They, their hearts, their mouths are like open graves. See, the gospel message says that everyone is dead. Everyone is dead to God. Nobody wants anything to do with God. Now, let me clarify that. Because some of you say, well, you know, I went to church and I wanted, you know, for a long time I was seeking what most people seek. What most people seek are the benefits of God. Most people don't want to go to hell. Of course not. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I'm not, I believe in God. All I have to do is believe. I believe in God and I am good. And as long as I believe, the Bible says, for whosoever believeth, right? Well, I'm one of those whosoevers. And I believeth, and therefore, since I've done that, I can go ahead and do whatever I want. I got my Savior. I got my ticket. I've got my lifesaver. And therefore, I'm going to heaven. But you know, the Bible also says that even the demons believe. They believe, and you know, but they shudder. Some of you, some of those non-believers, some of those seekers don't even shudder. They say, yeah, it's okay, no big deal. You know, me and God, we're tight. We're good. He's done some great things for me in my life. What most people seek after are the benefits of God. They do want relief from sin. They do want relief from pain. They do want relief from guilt, shame, all that stuff that's happened to them in their life. And they know, instinctively, we know that God can take it away from us. And we know that if we just come that, and just hear that prayer, make me feel good. Oh, that made me feel so good. I'm good until next week. But my life is a wreck. And, and it's that feel-good message that continues to veil the eyes and the hearts of the community. People need to know that they're dead. People need to know that they're not seeking God. They're just seeking the benefits of God. People need to know that this, this gospel, this cross that Jesus Christ endured and paid for was so that that can be taken away. That you can have this salvation, but there needs to be lordship. Jesus Christ said, you want to be my disciple? You need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily. Take up that cross. Over and over again, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You might have been looking for some food, is what most people were looking for in Jesus' time. Do you see what Jesus did? With five loaves and two fish, hey, 12 baskets left over. Let's go see what's for dinner tomorrow. Let's go check it out. You know, hey, come on, let's bring everybody. And, and you know, what? Blood? You want us to drink your blood? You want us to eat? You know, if, that's okay. <laughs> I'll come back next week when the menu's fish and bread. <laughs> I'll just do that. And, and it comes to the point where you're challenged to make that deep level commitment where most people just disperse. Most people just disperse and that deep level commitment comes in. And that's where we start looking at and seeing. So there's that the truth, the honesty, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ has got to be proclaimed. Why did he, and I'm going to go on with this more, more so. Okay, that, that's why he died. He died because, number one, we're not seeking him. Number two, we're dead. He wants to make us alive. How does he make us alive? Well, by resurrecting. And then there's that whole theology of the burial. The whole theology of Christ's burial, why he had to be buried, and why a borrowed tomb. 
And, and, and basically, it's just to show that Jesus Christ died. He was literally dead. Well, he didn't really die. He kind of was swooned into it. He, he was knocked out. I mean, they really beat him up pretty bad, you know. So he, he pretended to be dead. Or maybe, you know, what happened was that he didn't really resurrect. His disciples carried him away, which was the first accusation. You, you know, maybe he really wasn't, he, maybe it didn't really happen that way. And there's all, there's all these maybes. Beloved, he was buried. And it showed that he was buried. Nobody in their understanding at that time, understood what that meant. All they knew is that he died. They saw him die. They saw him bleed. They saw him, his, bore, his blood poured out. They saw him stabbed with the spear. They saw him come down from that cross, a limp, dead body. They knew that their Lord, the Master, their teacher, was dead. And they were so afraid that something was going to happen to them as well that they hid that they hid and they go, you know, it's, 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 we're next. They're going to come after us. We're next. And his death, his burial is, is so key in sharing the gospel. He died, literally. Well, you know, what if? You know, whenever a sentence starts with what if, just be ready for a lot of uh, the, the, the theological word that we've, you might want to write this down, theological word that we, it's in all kinds of different languages, but it's called um, baloney. You can tell right away, what if? But I think, oh yeah, baloney, you know, but what if, and I believe, and I think, yeah, okay, what the Bible teaches. And, and this is there. We know this. We celebrate it during Easter, but it's veiled with bunnies and, ra- and eggs and, and everything else. Christmas, in the same way, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ never said to remember his birth. He said to remember his death. You see, in 1 John chapter 5, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. How do you know the truth? By knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. What else? The truth. He didn't say, I point to the truth. He didn't say we can debate the truth. He didn't say that, you know, maybe we can, I I can kind of show you how to get to the truth. No, no, he said, no, I am the truth. Every time you encounter truth, you encounter Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He is truth. Number three, it takes humility. It takes humility. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and on, he says, uh, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And, and, And it is. People that don't want anything to do with God at all, I mean, it's veiled. They can't see it because they're perishing. They're dying. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, this is the only place where in the gospel that Satan, the devil, is called the God of this world. I mean, he's called the prince of the world in, in Ephesians chapter 2, the, the verse we just read a little while ago. But he, is, he has been given that title, and he's no God whatsoever. He is no big G God. As a matter of fact, here it's written in the little g. And he is the image. Jesus Christ is the image. You know how when you say he's a spitting image of his dad, you know? And, and, he just, just, and that's exactly when you see Jesus Christ, when you encounter truth, when you see Christ in the Gospels, you see God. 
When people get saved, the first thing I do is I point them to the book of John. Read the book of John. Why the book of John? Because I want you to read the book of John. I want you to know who Jesus Christ is. You're a Christian, Christ-like. Know who Jesus is. After you finish reading the book of John, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and read John again. Get to know who Jesus is. Because when you get to know Jesus, you get to know who God is. Verse 5, yeah, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and in the face of Jesus Christ. It takes humility. It takes understanding to realize we're not preaching ourselves. And, and Paul is making a stab at these guys that were there in Corinth. They were preaching themselves, well, I went to this school, and I went to that school, and these people have taught me, and, and boy, l- listen to our oratory skills. We are so well-educated. We have all this knowledge, and Paul, pfft, you know, he, he's, he's just a has-been. You know, as a matter of fact, Paul was kicked out of the Pharisaic school, and he's, he's no longer even admitted into their standings and in their, 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 their culture, their gatherings. He's a hunted, he's a hunted man. Hunted as well by that thorn in his flesh. He is hunted, and they're going to kill him eventually. Listen to what we have to say. We are much better. And they were. A lot of these guys were a lot better. Eloquent. They spoke. They were convincing. And Paul says, I don't need to convince you. I just need to tell you the truth. I don't need to have all the words. I just need to tell you the truth. I don't need to have all the degrees. I just need to tell you the truth. I need to use humility for what we proclaim is not ourselves, he says, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. You know this word doulos, servants? This word servant is something that many of us can't seem to get a grip on. And I shouldn't say many of us. There's some. There's some of you that are true servants at heart. You just understand that. You're, you just know that you're not there to benefit from everybody around there, around you, but you were there for others to benefit from what you can offer. And, and I really just truly appreciate that servanthood attitude, that, that just willingness, what can I do? And even when I, I don't even instruct or is instructed, many of you, some of you actually go to town and just start doing what has to be done. I appreciate my brother Robert, and um, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to mention names, but his initials are Robert Coleman. Um, he, he showed up today, he says, you know, I, I can help lead worship today. Well, I really needed some help, as you can tell. Uh, anyways, our, our praiser leader was, was out, and I says, you know, let's do it next Sunday. He's willing to serve. I've got the ability, the, 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 the gifts to do this. Some of you have said, you know, like Eric, what can I do to help? Well, set up the pop-ups. I can do that. Set up some, you know, I can do that. Bring donuts. You know, somebody, somebody's bringing donuts. Thank God for that. It's the most important ministry in this church. The donut ministry, the coffee ministry. You know, we, we can all do something. Don't ever believe and think that you are above it all. So I'm not going to do that. You want me to do what? Don't you got people that you hire for that? Yeah, but everyone can do something. That's what Paul says. We're not here to be served. Is that an echo of somebody else who heard that? We're not here to be served, but to give our life for the ransom of many. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's what Paul was doing. He was using, he was understanding humility. You know what? I'm a pastor. I, I can do this and I can do that. And he didn't use that. He says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. In verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. This is, this is very interesting. Clay pots. 
In every archaeological dig everywhere on the world, they find clay pots. Pots are everywhere. They used pots, and it was a very uh, simple, very inexpensive way of keeping things together. And pots were made out of mud, and mud is very easy. Just add water, and it's mud. Uh, they would actually add some straw or other, other minerals as well, depending on what you wanted to make out of it. But, but clay pots were, were very simple and very easy to make. But, but you know, the problem with those is that they're clay, they're glass, they shatter, and they're, they break. But you can put things inside of their treasures. You can put things in there to keep everything good and warm. As a matter of fact, Paul is arguing in Romans about the potter. Actually, the, the clay is arguing with the potter. Why did you make me like this? You know, why, why, why am I this kind of a, a pot? And, and Paul is saying uh, also in Corinth, he says, you know, that some, some are made for noble purposes and some for innoble purposes because some of those pots were used for uh, waste and they were thrown away. But a pot is a very specific and a very uh, telling sign of what Paul is saying. Look, I am not anything made out of bronze. I'm not made out of gold, which some things were made out of gold. I am not made out of any kind of stone. I am just a clay pot. You know, and I'm cracked. So therefore, it makes me a crack pot. Come on, I waited all week for that one. Some of you guys are crack pots. We all are. Thank you, Mia. See, my daughter laughs. We are all just broken. And Paul says, you know, this treasure that God has given you is worth more than anything in the world. Beloved, this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is within you, you've got to share that. That is the most expensive treasure. You've got to share it like people's lives depend on it. You know why? Because it does. That is the most important thing that anybody could ever hear, is the truth of the gospel. You're dead. You can't hear God. You don't want to hear God. You don't want anything to do with God. you got to listen to what God has to say. God came and died on the cross as a, as a man to save you. Yeah, get out of here. People don't want to hear that. But that is the most important message. You want to know what kind of lives matter? They all do. You want to know what really is important, what political party to get on, what side, which left or right? You want to know which country to live in? You know, all those things, they're superfluous. They don't matter. Because the most important message is the message of the gospel, is the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, you have to understand that we are in clay pots. This treasure is inside of us. Number four, it takes an understanding of suffering. Oh boy. Here's where I'm going to lose some of you guys. People are turning off right now. Isn't there another channel we can watch? Do we have to watch this guy? It takes an understanding of suffering. Do you realize that suffering is a big part of the Christian life? It really is. Oh, I suffer all the time. There's times I can't find a parking spot. I'm suffering just driving. Oh, dear Lord, why me, Lord, why me? I can't find a parking spot. I suffer all the time. You know, my back is just hurting. I'm not belittling your uh, things that are happening, your maladies. Please don't get me wrong. But sometimes we think those are our sufferings. Those are the crosses I have to bear. You know, I'm just a loud mouth. And yeah, that's just the cross I have to bear. No, that's the cross your wife has to bear, not you. <laughs> you know, that's, those are some of the things that we equate as suffering. You know, Paul is talking about some genuine suffering when he says we, were, we are afflicted 
in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. You, you know, this affliction is, is the word that is used by being pressed, pressured and pressed together right before you break. And it's coming to you from all kinds of signs, and yet it doesn't crush you. And as a believer, I don't know if any of us have actually really, for your faith in Jesus Christ, have ever been pressed to that point. I know that we're being pressed in that, to that point right now as a church and as believers. We're being pressed to that point, and we need to understand that a genuine believer will not be crushed. And you may have to endure, you may have to continue on in, in the pressure that is going on within this culture right now. Because it's going to get worse. It doesn't get better, according to the end of the book. You know, we're, we're, we're afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed. You know, it's like this, I, I don't understand. This underst- what happened? I thought these guys were saved. I'll, after all my life that I poured into this church, Paul is saying, after every, you know, I got it. What happened? Why are they still going back to the sexual immorality? And there's a guy in that church that is sleeping with his father's wife, and everybody's happy. Hey, way to go, guy. You're doing very good, you know? And nobody, and Paul wasn't upset about this. I mean, he was upset about the sin, but he was more upset at the fact that nobody's doing anything. It's like, God, you know, why are they suing each other? Don't they realize that they're going to be judging angels? Don't they know that they're going to be judging nations? Why are they airing their dirty laundry in civil courts? Why, why are they, what are they doing with this? You know, and Paul was just perplexed. God, I, okay. And, and he had this whip. He had this mentality. He says, I got to get this church back in order. You know, it's unfortunate. As much time as Paul spent there, after this, we don't hear much about the church in Corinth. You know, we really don't. Not until, you know, of course, the end of, when, when uh, they come back in the seven letters, but we got to understand the suffering. Paul was just perplexed. There's times maybe you've been perplexed and despaired. You know, why is this happening, Lord? And some of us have probably experienced that with our children. You know, you might have experienced that with your kids, with your spouse, in relationships, with your parents. There's this, I, I don't get it, you know? And, and, but, you know, but the perplexion that you may be going through, it's not going to drive you to despair. It shouldn't drive you to despair. You should not be driven to the point of just giving up because it's going to happen. Persecuted, but not forsaken. You know, Paul goes on to say later on in Galatians, he says, you know, I was persecuted to the point of death, but Jesus Christ standing next to me gave me strength. I'm paraphrasing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down. You know, Paul is probably talking about and remembering as he's saying this, the time that he was beaten and left for dead. He was struck down, but you know what? He came back up. He wasn't destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. And so what many of us like to do is we like to carry the death of Jesus in a golden cross. See, I got the death of Jesus. What Paul did, he says, no, I'm going to be like Jesus. Jesus, forsaken, abandoned. Family just wrote him off. Misunderstood, misinterpreted mistranslated, misquoted. He didn't say that. He didn't, he, that's what he said. You know, he's persecuted, literally. Plucked his beard. Crown of thorns. Thorns being bashed into his head with the staff. People slapping him and punching him and laughing at him. People spitting on him. And all this, even before he hit the cross. 
See, when Paul has in mind the death of Jesus Christ, many of us just think of this. Paul had in mind all the suffering and persecution and everything that he went through. He says, I'm going to carry that with me. That's going to be my calling card. That's what I'm going to proclaim. You want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's where you need to be at. You need to understand suffering. You need to understand people aren't going to like you. You need to understand people are going to misrepresent you, mistreat you, misquote you. You need to understand that you might come to a point where you might be ostracized, lose your job, lose your standing in communities. You need to understand that suffering is all part of God's plan for the genuine believer. Consider it pure joy, James says, for the many trials and struggles that you go through because the testing of your faith. As a matter of fact, there's, well, we'll talk about this here in just a bit. Paul says there's all this suffering that people go through in the world that I've gone through, and we have not even really began to scratch the surface. I, 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 don't, I shouldn't go that route or that far as making it a blanket statement because I really don't know you personally and what you've been through. But I know for the most part in most churches, we have not experienced that unless you've been to the mission field. Unless you've been to the mission field. Number five in the back of your outlines, it takes self-sacrifice. It takes self-sacrifice. It says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the self-sacrifice I was talking about that Paul carries around with him in this vessel, this jar of clay. He carries it around with him, and he shows it not as a cross, not as, a, not as an emblem or a sign or a, a symbol, but he, his life. This is who I am, and I'm, I'm be more than happy to take the beatings, the lashings, the everything else that Jesus Christ went through just so that you can hear the gospel message, the truth of the gospel message, just so that you can hear it And all I can do is just give it to you. All I can do is just share that with you. But it is the Holy Spirit himself that's going to have to wake you up. I was asked this last week. I don't know what to say. I'm just done with words. I I just, I can't, I I try, and in tears. What do I say to my mom? How do I get that across to her? I'm trying with all that I can. What can I say? I said, really? If the Holy Spirit himself cannot change her, then whatever you say is not going to make a difference. All you can do is love her. Just continue to love her in the name of Jesus Christ. Number six, it takes endurance. It takes endurance. Paul goes on to say from verses 13 on, he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Paul is quoting uh, Psalm 116. If you're with us during the daily readings uh, this month, we, Psalm 116 would have been probably Monday or Tuesday. But uh, you, you will see that the psalmist himself, he was in trial, he's in troubles. You know, and so, but he spoke it into existence. He says, I spoke it, and therefore I believed it. And so we also speak, and he's speaking about the presence of God's favor and the presence of God's strength, not the things that you want. You know, if, I, if I can achieve it, if I can perceive it, I can achieve it mentality. This is the verse that many people use. See, I have to speak it, and it happens. No, God's strength, God's stability, God's understanding God's wisdom. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And there's the word I missed, grace. I knew I'd get it. (laughs) 
and that grace that is being extended. See, grace, we don't deserve what God gives us. That's grace. People say, you know, well, you don't deserve that. Oh, you're right. I deserve less. People think that we, that we, every, we all need and we all deserve God's happiness and holiness and everything else. What we deserve is wrath. What we deserve is damnation. That's what we deserve. And grace, I've explained it this way. If you get pulled over by a police officer, he gives you a ticket. He's just administered justice. You get pulled over, and instead of giving you a ticket, he lets you go. He's just extended mercy. But you get pulled over, and instead of letting you go, and instead of just giving you a ticket, what he does is he gives you $300. You're sitting there saying, well, what's this all about? I just wanted to give you 300 bucks. He gives you what you do not deserve. When God gives you grace, it's not because you deserved it. It's not because you were good or handsome. Some of you might think that. It's not because you were intelligent. It's all because of God's grace. When you are dead in your trespasses and God wakes you up, it's not because of what you did. It's not because of a prayer you prayed. It's not because of a choice that you've made. It's not because of anything but the grace of God. He saw you dead in the miry pit, and he reached down in there, and he pulled you out. And as a dead person knows, or does not know, a dead person can't do anything. A dead person that is dead, that is dead, that is dead, can't breathe, can't live, can't sing, can't ask, can't look, can't hear, can't smell. A dead person is dead. And God reached down by his grace because he saw you, and he says, I want this one. We're all destined for hell. We're all destined to go. That's from, plant, that's from the very beginning. But at the very beginning, God says, I'm putting in this sacrificial system, and I'm putting in my son as the perfect sacrifice. And he is the one that is going to die and give his blood for that which nobody else can give. And he is going to die for those that I will call, predestined, choose, elect. He is the one that is going to provide that blood. And in this whole world, as each one of us are lying dead in our trespasses, God came by and says, you, by his grace, not because of he knew you, or I mean, he did know you, but not because of who you are or what you've done, all because of his grace. Now somebody asked me, says, well, if that's the case, why do I need to tell people if God's going to do it already? Well, that's a very good question. I can give you two reasons. Number one, well, first of all, because Jesus Christ said to do it. That should be enough. <laughs> go. Preach the gospel. Share the message. Make disciples. Go. You got to go do it. How can they hear if somebody doesn't tell them? Send me, Lord. Okay, I'll go. That's good enough for me. God said do it. I'm going to do it. Let him figure out how that's going to happen. The second reason is because, you know what? God wants to use you. And we should count it as an honor and a privilege to join with God to be able to be used in that manner. It takes endurance. It takes endurance to preach the truth of the gospel because you know what? People aren't going to like it. People aren't going to want to hear it. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to stop dead in your tracks. Verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that's true. I just turned 62. And uh, so all you guys don't even know what you got coming. (laughs) 
It's coming. You get to forget a lot of things, right, Ken? <laughs> you get to forget a lot of things, right, Ken? <laughs> and lose our hearing. This shell is wasting away. It is. It's getting to a point where it no longer is going to function as it does now. And like I've told my kids, you know, well, you know, old age is not too bad because, well, it doesn't last that long. But as we get older, our outer shell is wasting away. It is falling apart. And it, and it is at a point now where uh, it, the, the more you get, and you know, in, for Paul, I'm sure his age, he, he aged very quickly because of all the beatings and struggles and famines and all the starvation and everything else that he'd been through. You know, he, he went through a lot. And so his body was really dying. And like most of the disciples, they, he didn't die of natural causes. And story has it, tradition has it, that he was beheaded. So he goes on to say, you know, I mean, this outer part, but inside. One of the things that I've seen in people's lives as I visit them in their last days, it's that spirit that just seems to grow, that, that strength, that energy that just brings me comfort in spite of their ailing bodies. And inside there is something that is growing that is just waiting to burst out and just, just waiting to, to get to the point where they, need, they know they're going to. And, and it's like, now, I don't know how theological this is, but every time a child is born, I always bring them close to me and I ask them, what's the face of God look like? And they smile. <laughs> and they smile. It's happened to me several times as we're doing baby dedications. They laugh and they smile. And somebody said, I think they were farting. No, uh, they, think you, they think you look funny. No, you know, and, and I tend to think you know, they just came from God. If they could speak, I wonder what they would say. It's like the, what happens to us when we get to that point. Our inside is growing. The outside is falling apart. And none of us want to get there because it's going to be painful, I know. It's going to hurt. But that's the way we are going to be renewed every day. For this light and more momentary affliction. I like the way he puts that. It's just momentary. You know? And it's light, really, compared to eternity. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So how do I endure? Number one, focus on God's strength, not my strength. Though, for we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Don't focus on what you have. Don't focus on this shell. Don't focus on your clay pot. Some of you are thinking, I don't know. You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm not eloquent. I can't do anything. You know, I... I I can't stand up in front of people and talk. You know, I can't do those kind of things. I, I can't even write. I can't read that well. Well, that's good. Don't focus on that. Focus on what God wants to do in your life. It's not by strength, but by my power, says the Lord. Focus on God's strength, not my strength. Focus on the kingdom. I have heard the word chaos, but I think I just changed that. Focus on God's kingdom, not my kingdom. Focus on God's kingdom. We are so inward focused on our kingdom. Our prayer has been for many years, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come. My will be done. And it has to be thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then verse 18, focus on the eternal, not the temporal. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporal. They're fading away. But the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. 
the things that we see in God's word. It is by faith that we're saved. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, not wished for, but anticipating. It's the things that we cannot see, the glory, the kingdom, God, Jesus Christ. Those are the things that we focus on. This is how Paul did it. He says, but the things that are unseen is how we endure. Peter put it this way. I love Peter. You know, I mean, if you know anything about Peter, he was a loudmouth, brash, an arrogant liar. Uh, he was just, he would not have been my pick. <laughs> he would not have been the person I says, hey, why don't you be my right-hand man, Peter? He's not the guy I would have picked. But I love Peter's attitude, his humility, his change. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to go through some stuff. Some of you are going through some stuff right now. Some people are going through stuff that is self-afflicted. You know, you caused it upon yourself. Some people are going through stuff that it's, caused, been, it's been caused upon them. Some of you are going through things that are medical, physical, emotional, relational. But all those things, and, and, and I pray and I, and I ask you, please, do not take this in the wrong way. I'm not belittling any of the things that you go through. But those things are, don't even compare to the persecution that Paul is talking about of a genuine believer that is proclaiming the gospel. There needs to be the presentation of the gospel in such a way that people understand what it is. We're going to continue on with that theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to try to get back to what the gospel truly is and help you have a handle on it so that you can at least know it for yourself. You know, it's not that I want you to get saved. I can't do that anyways. It's not that I'm trying to get you converted. What, what, I, what I want to do more than anything is to give you a deep, profound appreciation for where I was at, where you are at, and where I am now because of the grace of God. The gospel, every, every time I read it, every book that I read on the gospel, every time I read about the gospel, every time I, I thumb through the scriptures in search of the gospel and, and hearing the gospel, it just it, it encourages me more, and I want you to be encouraged as well by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Let me ask you to stand. I want to take this time right now to pray for any of the needs within the church, people that you know, that we can, we can lift up in prayer at this, at this time. I know we have, uh, uh, this last week, our sister Sylvia was um, involved in a car accident. Yeah, I had just seen her. She just came to the office. She came by and she left. They went to the store and they got T-boned. Thank God she's good. Everything's fine. But if there's anything else that we can pray for, anyone else, you can remember Sylvia in prayer. Um, I talked to Joan this last week, and she's in good spirits. But I don't know if you know this or not, but she's been uh, isolated now since November. She fell and broke her shoulder, I think it was, and she had some other things. And right when she was getting better, COVID hit, so she's all by herself and uh, hasn't really come out. What, what's his name? Vincent. I was going to say Charlie. Can we pray for Vincent as well? All right. Well, we'll be praying for you, Vincent. Okay. Anyone else? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to gather in your name, to read your word, and to apply it to our life. 
Lord, we know that the most important message is the message of the gospel. And so we ask you, God, to uh, get us prepared, prepare our, our hands for battle. Prepare us, Lord, to understand the significance and the importance of it and what it's going to take. It's going to take all these things, Lord. And I know that that's what Paul had gone through. Persecution, uh, all the suffering, self-sacrifices. All, Father, we, are, we ask in your name. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to show us just the many things that, uh, that we need to do personally to change within our life and within our heart. We thank you for your word that stands the test of time on how uh, you preserved it for us to be able to read it and understand it and, and just apply it to our life. So we thank you, Lord. Uh, once again, I, I do lift up to you, Sylvia. And uh, Father, just be with her. Continue to help her to heal, especially now after the days that this has happened, that you keep her uh, strong and, and strengthen her, Lord, and, and also Danny as well. And we pray for Joan. We, we thank you, God, for her life and her faithfulness to you. You continue to be with her. For Lucille, that is still waiting for her operation as well. Lord, I do pray for that. And for Vincent, uh, I thank you for his life and, and, and just the, his presence here, God. We just thank you for all that you do. Lord, we ask that you dismiss us now from this place, uh, but never from your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, and amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May dis or dismiss. Amen. Amen.